0: Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is
1: brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad1Zero. Hey, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. As you know, I am a managing partner at Ad1Zero, where we provide outsourced B2B sales teams. And my guest today is James Layfield. He's the co-founder and CEO of ClearFind. James, I always let the guests do their own intro because I know you can do it better than me. Talk about who you are and what ClearFind is. Was nice to meet you. So yeah, obviously I am James. ClearFind
2: is, I suppose, an innovation uh, on consulting really. Uh, it's a radically different way to manage software within a business uh, using artificial intelligence and a world first data set on features of software. Uh, and then, my background, I've been in many, many things, but at, at my heart, I think I'm an entrepreneur and a catalyst for innovation. I love finding problems and seeking out solutions, ideally, finding problems that haven't been solved and trying to crack them, um which is it's it's, I mean, it's the thing I find most thrilling, uh, and so that's what's been exciting about this new journey with
1: yeah, yeah, I mean every everything is wanting to throw out the you know the ml and the AI now, and what you Tend to find when you get into that is uh, this this is not new in the fact of having to have a ton of data and figure out how to label and categorize said data so that the machine can actually be useful and learn. And it turns out the (laughs) the entities teaching the computers are still humans. And, uh, you know, we're not replacing people and and making robots, you know, that it's really uh, a slog of data, you know, at the beginning. So I'm always interested when we have these sort of solutions that we find out about on the show. It's like, all right, how did you figure out how to classify and make a taxonomy around every possible feature of all the software? Because this is a big problem and that's really what you're solving there.
2: 100%, yeah. I mean, that, that is the crux of the last four years. Um, I think. I think, I mean, the reason we sort of looked in this direction um, as you say, I mean fundamentally, the AI is only as good as the data. Uh, but the current AI, which is a, well, not yeah, the current I, the current human, um, yeah, the, actual intelligence, like the actual intelligence, I like to say, the actual intelligence also hasn't got the data. So what was fascinating is, whereas well, oftentimes the data exists, and what you're trying to do is get more of it to train the system, we had to create this data, set of data. Uh, and so it was a really, and has been a really interesting challenge. It's also a great moat that we've now created. Um, And so when we first started, we assumed that Gartner would have the data. I mean, Gartner is the world's biggest research company in software. Everybody uses Gartner as their benchmark. And so we thought, well, of course they must know what the features of software have to be. And so we reached out to Gartner naively uh, and said, hey guys, um, we'd love to get some of the feature data from you, please. And the guy said, no problem. Let me put you onto one of our analysts, and so we had a second call with their an analyst, and we said, "Hey, Mr. Analyst, we would love to get some of the feature data, please." He we said, "Well, no problem. Let me put you onto one of our software specialists." And so the software specialist came on the phone, and she says, "What is it you'd like?" And we said, "Well, feature data." And she's like, "Oh, we don't have that." <laughs> 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 okay, great. So, <laughs> so, so, this is But, totally but this.
1: We, we do have. <laughs> Very many $3,900 PDFs that we can show you <laughs> right now, James.
2: <laughs> exactly. I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then we're like, okay, this is great. Uh, so they didn't have it, which was which was a relief and also terrifying. Uh, and so then we um, we then started to think about why is that the case? Um, and if you, anyone who's done this, and sort of anyone who's a CTO, CIO, who's listened to this, or anyone probably in business who's ever brought software into their department has had to go through this process where you end up with some sort of spreadsheet with a load of features in it. And to get that list of features is one of the most ridiculous situations on earth because you'd think the way you'd get it would be call the vendor. But it doesn't work like that because the vendor doesn't want to tell you that, especially not on call one or call two or call three. Maybe on call four, they'll actually answer direct questions. And so we basically got out there and created a way to find this information. using a combination of Um, Mechanical Turk, so we've got about 130 researchers in the field um, that are going through this process. We have vendor relationships where we're able to say to the vendor, look, we have a source of truth here. You need to be a participant in this source of truth. Um, And so we'd like you to participate in that. And obviously, they're very open to doing that. Uh, And what's been really beautiful is we we initially thought that the vendors would be a little bit sort of... A little bit over... um, optimistic about their capabilities, but what we have found is they're not, when you get to the right person in the vendor, typically they are realistic about their capabilities. It's obviously not the salesperson you talk to, <laughs> but
1: when you I get to the right like person, a, like a chief product officer, they're pretty yeah. realistic.
2: Uh, yeah. and then when, because we have it across many, many companies, we can sort of help them benchmark themselves. And so there's an inherent value in doing that, which is basically, right. as a vendor you want to know where you stack up. And so being able to see where you stack up against other people from a feature perspective is great. And also just being able to run out features that you're thinking about to see if people want them is also really useful. So there's some things that we can do that could put a quote for that. Um, we then obviously get information from our clients about what they're using and how they're using it. Uh, and, then it's a, and then there's a combination, as I said, of uh, machine learning, uh, mechanical Turk, uh, scraping. Uh, and, and quite an intensive um, analysis process. So there's a lot of work that's gone into this. Um, and what we'll end up with is for a particular product, there could be three, 400 features, sure. uh, which is obviously significant. Uh, and what we're seeing is typically in the data when presented back to any client blows them out of the water, because you've got to imagine, as I said, the initial thing is the eye. So without the artificial intelligence, the human person that's doing this, the CIO, CTO, the consultant, whoever it is, they're starting with a blank
1: canvas. Who hasn't done this? I mean, you've you've got your spreadsheet where like, and then you go around the organization and you say, hey, everybody, we need to do a needs analysis because we're thinking about a new blah, blah, blah. And then they collect a bunch of junk, and everybody calls it a different thing. And they go, "Well, you know, I really just want a report that is is easier to use." Okay, well, yeah, what's that yeah. mean? You know, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And again, if
2: you don't understand, say for example, it's something like, uh, CRM. There are a thousand products. No one's ever looked. Well, we have no one apart from us has ever looked at that thousand product list. Of, no one's done it because it's insane. Uh, and so, and it changes. Already, I mean, uh, now you have a. How do you keep up with the rolling? You know, well, that's the great thing about having the relationships with vendors um, as well as a continuous uh, passing of the uh, mechanical text. I mean, that, that we, the team, that's all they do day in, day out. And if you think about any individual use case, even a consultant isn't every single day doing this. This is yeah. our lifeblood. This is what we do. This is the heart of our company. Um, and so, how do you do it
1: without access to the real product? I mean, you go through the documentation stuff, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: You look at the documentation you obviously, and you, you discuss this with the vendors. You talk it yeah. through with them and, and work it out with them. And then, and then you get to a, a sort of sensible taxonomy of, of, of features. Uh, and then there are basically two core categories. Basically, just features that you have to have to play the game. And then there are differentiated features. And what yeah. we're trying to help our user with is the differentiated features. If you think sure. about going to purchase a car or something like that, it's all very well. If the car dealer goes, well, great news, this one's got four wheels. It's like, okay. <laughs> um, but what Ladies really and gentlemen, is, it has a gear shift, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You really need to know the, the subtle differences because they're the things that make or break, whether or not you pick the products. And they're the things that continuously surprise our clients because because we have that level of detail, things will surface to them and get presented to them that aren't the same old five products that everyone's heard of. yeah. Because it's a feature they really want, and it's a feature that exists, and it's by this company that no one's heard of. But that's, right. great. that's the point of having it done by an AI rather than a human, that the AI doesn't get bored. <laughs> 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 and, and, it, and it can be bothered to look at all of the 150, 160, 200, 300 products in the category for you in a way that and, no human will ever
1: do. How do you, uh, so do you use the mechanical Turk to do the classification because I mean, you must have your own internal taxonomy, yeah, right? We do. Like yeah,
2: so exactly. the, okay. no, the internal the, exactly. the internal, uh, we've got an internal head office research team and they are creating the descriptions of the features. And then the mechanical Turks are basically matching to that.
1: And so. we should, we should tell the audience about mechanical Turk, because you know, if you've ever used this, it's the most interesting and amazing thing, but a lot of people don't, don't know what it is so i'll give i'll give a free nod to i think amazon owns them right uh well yeah i mean
2: there are other people that do it as well so we're not actually using amazon to do it but yeah the concept that they sort of right coined
1: the term. um the mechanical turk being that you can assign small little tasks with a data in data out type of research or something to a human you kind of one at a time and the marketplace takes care of that and then you can access and Uh, use that data from an API standpoint. So there's just some stuff that, you know, computers can't figure out and we need a human to intervene there, but can we access and utilize that in a standard fashion? So it's a really powerful methodology. Uh, I remember using it for a a company that had to validate foreign addresses through a translation layer. I mean, there's just no way you're going to be able to use a computer to figure out, is this a valid address, you know, in... Chinese characters. Um, So things like that. But so just my interlude there that if you have a problem that you can't solve on a vast scale with little tiny pieces, this this type of thing is a really good solution. Okay, so you have a giant data model taxonomy, and constantly updating it, how fast does it go from, you know, such and such, I don't know, HubSpot releases new features, and how fast is it in the database?
2: We're doing this, as I say, on an ongoing basis. And so obviously there are some tools that are updating more often than others, but we're doing this all all the time, so it's happening every day. Uh, And so we are, I think within any sort of 30-day period, everything's been refreshed. Uh, Which again, it's just not. Normally, this process, either looking for a new tool or analyzing your ecosystem, you can't do that in 30 days. So anyone who is setting out this journey themselves wouldn't ever be able to complete this task in 30 days. Um it normally is taking like someone i don't know 3 to 6 months to do this. Uh, our system enables our user to do this in less than a few hours.
1: So you can so draw it. basically like if I'm evaluating a <clears throat> company wide pile of you know the 85 different hundreds of different thousands of different things that I have like that are bleeding me to death on my SaaS bill every month and I don't even know what they are yeah. I can stick the name in there and we can figure this out. And I'll say that we're a, we're a small company, you know, not on the order of, you know, an enterprise. And even every month we go through the SaaS bill and we go for God's sake, it's like death by a thousand SaaS cuts. I mean, every little thing is 15 bucks here, 15 bucks there. So, you know, as a business, as you scale, it just gets more and more insane. And you do wonder, like, do I even use this? What is this thing? Who signed up for this? You know, which yeah. which credit card is this on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mean, what's,
2: I mean, what's interesting about it is, this, again, our target audience um, are typically spending in excess of a million dollars a year on software. And up from there, some of them are spending 50 million, some of them are spending 100 million. They're spending a lot of money on software. And so you can imagine there's a lot of different products in there and the bills are significant. And what the system does is as soon as they switch it on, so all you're giving us is the name of the software. Um, because no, most companies, that's all they really know, they know the product name, they know how much they spend on it, and that's it. Um, well, because we already have all the feature data, which is something that they would never... No company's got that information, uh, you just never would have it. Uh, and because a user only understands normally the features that they use. They don't understand all the features that the software is capable of. That just isn't something that's in anyone's head. Um, once they give us the title of the software, the system instantly starts to try and make order out of the chaos. So we can set a feature retention percentage. So the way we do it is we'd say, look, um, you're looking to retain, what, 80% of the features in, this, in your tools. We just changed that to 80% and the system has already recalibrated their entire ecosystem of however many million dollars worth of software and is able to make very accurate recommendations on consolidation opportunities instantaneously, without any effort. Without, I mean, it's literally in milliseconds. Uh, and so again, it's, it's, not, it's so hard for people to understand what we're doing because we've changed the paradigm. Like hither, Up until now, we had a conversation with someone actually and they said, everyone else is living in 1985 uh, and you guys are living in the future because everyone else is doing it the way you describe, which is everyone else is having to go through and talk to Bob in blah, 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 and talk to Mary in accounting and talk to Jeff in this and say, well, guys, how, what do you need it to do? Or what do you how do, do you with this
1: thing? <laughs>
2: we've got four BI tools. Yeah, but we need them. Why do you need them? Well, because I need this and I need this and I need this. And what they don't know is they only use like 50% of the features and all of them do them. But we can tell them that, the system can tell them that in a split second. Um, so it's so powerful. And then obviously when someone's again, arguing to bring new software into the ecosystem, again, if you're a CTO or CIO, complexity is your enemy. <clears throat> you do not want hundreds of vendors. You do not want hundreds of different security. Breaches and patches and this that, and other. You want a simple, powerful ecosystem that's fit for purpose. You want the minimum number of tools, not just from a cost perspective, but from a management perspective, from a moving data out perspective, from a sort of integration perspective. You want the minimum tools, and so our system can give you the confidence and the language to have a sensible conversation. It can give the finance team a confidence and a language to have a sensible conversation, so that when somebody is demanding a tool you can have a conversation about what is it they need for that tool and why is it when they say they need these things can't they use this which has those things and up until now that conversation has been it hasn't existed you can't well there's
1: a lot of dogma about (coughs) tool chains you know like i'm a hubspot guy or i'm a a confluence guy and i don't like notion you know and, and so you have a lot of the opinions that go around you know organizations and I mean, you and I both know that basically you're enabling at least a decent conversation to be pragmatic prior to the fact that, regardless, you're going to invest in training and change management. Completely you know, right. And you're going to at least be able to uncover that in an intelligent way. Makes me think that a bunch of consultants might like to have the inside track on, uh, you know, which things you're uh, changing out for which companies to, you know. 100%. You well, Consultants
2: <laughs> is a great audience for us. Yeah. Um, because... Again, the way that they have done this and still do this if they're not using us, because, again, we are the only product in the market that does this. And It sounds mental to say that, and people probably claim this all the time. It's a fact. No one else can do this right now. So as a consequence, we've got some consultants that we're talking to, and what's nice is they can go into their clients and do something that will be insanely labor-intensive, very potentially low margin, uh, using really relatively expensive, low-skilled labor, because they've got their grads doing it, potentially. Uh, their MBA is doing it, and our system can do that whole thing inside of 30 seconds, and it's going to take them three months. But the point is, if you're a consultant, what you really want to do is dig in on the integration, dig in on the actual work that comes out of this. And so this is a great way to look at a client portfolio and say, where are there opportunities to help these clients? Because our system can identify those opportunities for you in seconds. So say you've got 100 clients. So we can run the 100 clients through it, and this could spawn 10 to 15 clients worth of work that you wouldn't even know is there if you didn't right. do this work.
1: <laughs> because you're poorly integrating such and such in the middleware layer, yeah, and you know this absolutely. should talk to this, and this can talk to this, this actually can't talk to this, which means you need you know custom development at here, here, and here. Yeah. So I mean, it, totally. it's, it's super valuable there. So well, that's that's an awesome story. How did you get here? Let's shift. You know, to to your journey. Oh, I, I know I you've been around, you know, you got to fintech, uh, credibility, and all- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Tell us some good stories about the things where you did not dominate the market, you know, immediately. So. As if that ever happened.
2: So, um, so how, <laughs> how we got here was, um, so I, I, basically, for the last nearly, nearly 10 years, have been working with a really large UK bank, uh, not for them, but as a partner of theirs. Uh, on a project called Rise uh, and it's a project that we created for them Um, and the idea of that project really was to try and help that organisation to uh, understand how to have a sensible conversation with what wasn't then called FinTech but would become to be known as FinTech which is basically innovative businesses that were disrupting their industry. How does the large institution have that dialogue? What is the platform for that dialogue? How do they make Investments. How do they make um, integrations? How do they procure through that? How do they even understand what's going on? So we created for them a, a platform called Rise. Uh, and Rise exists online, but it exists in the real world. So we have operations in New York, Tel Aviv, uh, Eastern Europe, India, Africa, the UK. <coughs> and the idea of it was trying to create a level playing field, a supportive level playing field, because, um, again, when we first started, the word FinTech didn't exist. Um, and so there were these interesting people that were disrupting parts of their business. Um, and so we thought, well, what if we build a friendly environment that we, that can nurture the talent, that can help bring some of this multi-hundred-year-old organization's expertise, which is globally recognized, to play nicely with these upstart companies who are rethinking the way that you would go about some of these old processes and inventing some ways to do new things. Like a good example of that would be one of the organizations we helped uh, integrate was a company that were coming out of Tel Aviv who were using the blockchain to radically improve Bill of Layden. So Bill of Layden is if you ever see ship containers whizzing around the world, to get the uh, effective insurance documentation ready takes around 30 days today. And suddenly, with the blockchain, you got the same level of security and the same level of knowledge and the same level of um, uh, specificity. That's a good word, isn't it? Um, And you could release it in less than 48 hours. That radically changes the way you can ensure shipping containers and move shipping containers around. So there were those sort of things that we've we've helped with. Um, But what, what that meant was we got to see how an organization that... In the, in the scheme of things, banks at large have effectively unlimited resources. I don't think people really understand that that's the truth, but fundamentally they have unlimited resources. They have unlimited human capital, they have unlimited financial capital, they have unlimited political capital. Um, and so, we definitely know some of those stories from uh, 2008, but let's not go into that detail. But the point is, they can do whatever they like, um, it, oftentimes in a positive way. Uh, And so when it comes to technology, in theory, at least you would expect it to be effortless. It's like, well, look, I have unlimited resources in every possible sense, and I want to do this thing. How hard can that be? What we found is it's insanely hard. And the reason we found it was so hard is when the rubber hits the road, is the the people. Yeah. How do you acquire
1: the skills to do the (laughs) thing? Yeah, Yeah, but
2: not only that, how do you have a sensible conversation? What is the language you use? What is the consistent dialogue methodology? How do you talk to someone in this department within the bank about this new technology and explain to them why they need it versus what they already have? None of that language existed. And so what we'd see was a host of different things from like beautiful failures where the businesses so desperately wanted to work together, but in so doing, they killed the business they wanted to work with which is insane, um, through to, uh, again, just like incompatibility where they want to work with someone and they just couldn't ever get around to doing it or it just didn't work. And that's what started to spark these conversations in my, in my world. So I moved over to the US in 2017. And I just sat inside our office observing this in real time just saying, what is going on here? Can I sit in this meeting? What is happening here? Can I sit in this meeting? And I'd see all the way in which they were trying to do it. And it became obvious to me that there was a missing link. And to me, that missing link was this data set. So then I found my co founder, Jocelyn, who had been working for another big bank, I'm a massive Spanish bank. And so she had been working inside that bank doing the same sort of job as me. So we got together and we had this conversation. And we also brought in literally a rocket scientist. We brought in this guy who worked for uh, Raytheon. So if you know Raytheon, they're a missiles manufacturer, so not the nicest company in the world. Um, and his job was to write the algorithm that effectively um, defended the world against foreign attacks. So if you ever, which I don't think either you or I will ever do, but if you ever fire a missile at Israel uh, and their Iron Dome intercepts it, it's down to this guy. Yeah, so, uh,
1: it's
2: a good so guy to have three, around. he's yeah. a great guy to have around. So we three <laughs> sat in a room and we just started to look at this and we looked at it from two ways. First if we uncovered the data was a problem, and we we realized we'd have to go work out that data set. And the second thing we uncovered is, which again was from our personal experience, is people don't know what they don't know, and they inherently lie without meaning to. (laughs) So uh, when I say they inherently lie, what I mean is this. So think about, everyone listening, think about whoever you're married to or dating at the moment. Um, And if you think about when your friend asked you before you met them to describe your ideal partner, the character that you described, and I can pretty much guarantee you that the character that you could describe down to the eye colour is not the person you're now with. Because we're rubbish as humans, we're rubbish at doing it. We are rubbish at doing it. And so what we've done is we've built a system that can have a sensible conversation with someone who is trying to lie to us. And can and can dig in and push them gently to to tell us the closest thing to the truth, which is not always what they say up front. And that's why the consultants have a, good, a hard time. That's why all these guys have such a hard time. Is because when you're bringing software into your company, most of the time the people who are talking the loudest or talking at all haven't got a fucking clue what they actually need or want. Um, We had an example where we had a client, in our early days when we were testing this, we had a a big, big, big name client. There weren't this bank, there were another client. Everyone has heard of this company. They wanted a specific piece of software and they spent two years looking. They had written a list of 107 specific requirements. Now, that's hard, I think, for anyone to comprehend who has never tried to do this. But anyone who has tried to do it has probably written that list. And it's because you go around every department and you ask everyone and they all have something to say and you end up this ridiculous list. We put this list into our system. Three things, Matt. Everything else was garbage. Garbage. And, and, and again, a consultant would find it really hard to say that to you and say, yeah, thanks for that list, but actually everything's garbage apart from these three things. Because you're going to hurt people's feelings, but our system doesn't care about hurting your feelings. It just wants to help. Right. Uh, and so we were able to go back to them and say two things. One is, you actually already have the system you need in house, except for this tiny bit. Right. And that shocked them
1: now you need a point solution to fill a tiny yes. little gap. Yeah, yes. it's like a plug in. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, and that's the thing again, when people start looking for software, and they start asking people for, for requirements, not understanding what the software does, which is not their problem. No one knows what they do apart from us. No one knows what they do. You end up with this stupid Frankenstein list. That isn't, it's basically like the ultimate jigsaw piece you're looking for, that is impossible to find, because it's so specific. No one has ever made a piece of software to do those 107 things. That's what you need. And that's why you need to have a multiple software solution to it. And that's harder for people to think about, but it's easy for an AI to think about. Because it can think about, it can think so laterally and so all in in such an all-encompassing way, it can consider that Twilio's got brilliant calendar software in it, which humans don't think of Twilio as being a calendar solution they think of it as being a telecom solution. But a system that understands features can think of it like that. So it just, it's, it's I don't know, it's, obviously I get quite excited about it, but that's how we got here, which is me, a rocket scientist, and Jocelyn in a room, understanding that humanity is fundamentally flawed and that there isn't a data set. And that we could make a, make the world a better place by... Because just think about the amount of wastage. It's insane. The amount of wastage that people... Like, it's something like 30 billion a year is wasted on the wrong software. And it's that that could solve the world's problems. Like, if we could basically redirect that 30 billion to anything else, the world would be a better place. So our job is to try and stop people making stupid
1: mistakes that, that humans make all the time because we've got a machine and we've got information. <laughs> At least you're never going to run out of things to do. I mean, <laughs> Exactly. So here's the thing, right? So, like you, I'm watching you, and I work with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, right? And you have this amazing sort of energy and passion about solving problems. And I find that's a very common feature of the visionary entrepreneur. Uh, and you need the enabling capital, you need the enabling something to, to make that happen because you can sit around and solve problems in your head all day long and be awful at telling people about it, uh, be awful about enabling that what's the underpinning there, because it's not good enough to be a passionate problem solving maniac. You know, you need, <laughs> you need more. I, I know this because I tried it 12 <laughs> times, you know? <laughs> and so Yeah, I'm passionate. I'm definitely a
2: maniac. So I'm two of those things. And the extra, the extra piece that you need. I think There's a few pieces, I mean, I think part of it is persistence, which is a common and stupid thing to say, but it is persistence. And I think the other thing is, it's persistence and flexibility. So you have to be willing to throw everything out the window and start again. Uh, You can't hold on to things too tightly. And I think, again, you see this in business time, again, people hold on to things too tightly. Um, People believe in their bullshit too much. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, you've got to be humble enough to understand you, you don't, not, you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, and so you need to listen to the market. You need to listen to consumers. You, you have to have your ears open. Um, and, so, and so I suppose partly it's about having the passion to come and the vision to come with the idea. Yes. Uh, next, it's about really having the smart team around you to be able to deliver on that vision. That hiring people who are brilliant at the thing they do. So our head of engineering is absolutely brilliant. And like when he was a kid, he built the Chicago uh, newspaper website. He's an absolutely amazing guy. Uh, and I can't even imagine doing what he does. I don't understand what he does. I don't need to understand what he does. I just know that he is blindingly good and blindingly quick. Uh, we've got um, a head of product um, who basically, again, has done so many amazing things. created a company called Candid, a two to line company, who was head of uh, growth for WeWork when we just started out. When this guy's a genius, and again, he's our head of product. Then we've got Justin, who's just an amazing operator. Um, who's, like, again, super smart, super switched on, worked at Goldman, worked at RSM, worked at this big bank. And is just uh, that those people with as a group together are able to do things that I think four people can't normally achieve. Um, and then I, I mean, I've invested about four million of my own money. So I've put my money where my mouth is. So I believe that this needs solving and I have solved it with my team. Um and I think that's the thing. I get it. I, I started when I started my career, I had nothing. I used to, I had to sell my coat one time to pay my rent because I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. So I started with nothing. Uh, and so everything I have, I've made it for myself um, over the last however long. Uh, and so I suppose I've made lots and lots and lots of mistakes. I've learned lots and lots and lots of lessons over those years. But I've never, yeah, I've actually never bothered to get money from investors. I've always decided to do it myself. Uh, I think partly because I hate having people tell me what to do. Uh, <laughs> which is which is
1: another stubborn Also trait, a so common trait of uh many of us. Yeah. Yeah, which is a tricky one. And then and some secondly, of us make uh, the mistake of taking money right. once. <laughs> I know it's such
2: an interesting one, isn't it? I know. It's, it's I think it's an easy road to go down, but it's I don't it's hard to get out of again. And I, I like the um yeah, I suppose I, I think the flexibility is such an important thing we basically we'd spent two years developing this methodology and a year then going and getting the data and we basically have focused all of our efforts and energy in our matching tool so our tool fits splits into two we've got this amazing ecosystem management tool which can go inside your company and save you money and find out what to do and help you make better decisions and we've got this matching tool which is instead of search which is basically pointless as far as i can see which is just more confusion this tool asks you specific questions it's a bit like the dating analogy i gave so it says look tell me about the ideal person for you uh and then you explain it to them and it says yeah whatever but i think you'll like this Uh, and so we basically we ask them a load of questions and we keep asking them questions and we push them on their answers and eventually they have to without knowing it be honest with us and when they're honest with us the system goes away and then says right great based on what you say you really want um these are the top 20 products for you matched by percentage to your feature requirements and to your business problems no one else can do that right now no one else tries to do it like it's the opposite of the way everyone else in the industry works everyone else in the industry says how many pages can i show you to make myself as much money as possible i would like to show you 100 pages because if you see 100 pages i'll make more money i don't give a shit if you find a solution whereas our system is the opposite it says no no, no. we only care about finding a solution we are not, we're interested in showing you one page. And on that page are the answers to your problems. So we had a guy doing a million dollar ERP test the other day. His mind was blown that in seconds he went from basically not understanding all the ERP systems in the market to then having seen every single system and had one selected. He spent an hour on the phone. An hour. Impossible up until now. Anyway, so. So I suppose we've got, we've got those two things. We, we'd focused our energies on the search product to start with. Sorry, I was running bit, But we'd focused our energies on the, on the search product. And um, we have been going around everyone and saying, look at this search product. This is amazing. Why do you want to use our search product? And nobody wanted to buy it. And the reason nobody wanted to buy it is, it's a bit like saying, hey, do you want a new tire for your car? It's like, well, no, my tires are fine. It's like, okay, fine. What about you? Do you want a new tire for your car? No, no, no. Time. And oh, there's a guy over there with a puncture. Do you want a new, new tyre? Yeah, I'd love a new tyre. Ta- but unless you see the guy with a puncture, selling them a new tyre is impossible. And it's the same with search. You have to find them at the time they're searching. So we'd spent millions and all this time. And I was like, on the, I, I was basically, I had black hair last year. It's now very gray. Um, and I was thinking, oh my God, this is going fu- to fucking fail. I'm fucked. Uh, and we had a, we had our, I didn't say that to my team. Team, don't listen to me. Uh, team like, it's not to team does it.
1: not need to know those internal. <laughs> di- which is which is the real loneliness of the CEO, like, hundred yeah, percent. So <laughs> team does not need to know this. What do I need to liquidate to make payroll next week? You know
2: <laughs> exactly. So then, um, so we get through the summer, and I'm just thinking, oh my god, what are we gonna do? And then we had a meeting with a potential client. The client we've been t- talking to for years, and in that meeting, we presented our search project and We're like, great, and they said to us hang on, if you know all that information, what if we tell you what we already have? Could you tell us what about the duplication? So we're like, sure, we could. yeah, we we can do that. Anyway, and then we, in the meeting, kept going on about the search product, didn't hear the client at all, didn't listen. Anyway, went away, did a bit of an offsite. In the offsite, I was obviously in tears. Uh, In the offsite, someone said, hey, do you remember what that client said on the phone the other week? Like, oh yeah sure so we did the offsite in the morning at lunchtime that day I went on the phone call and pretended that we'd done it and so I spoke to a client who we were talking to I had a sales call that knew already booked in to sell the search and instead of selling the search I went on and said hey look we've got this amazing system and what it does is it looks inside your organisation at all the tools you have and it'll do, do your system in seconds is that interesting he goes yeah yeah definitely and we said well how much would you pay for it and so he gave us a number and we're like interesting, all right, let's get back to you next week. And I went back to the meeting I said, guys, I just freaking sold it. I just freaking sold it. Get this thing up. So then we built a mock-up and then we went back to the meeting with him and presented again and he bought it. He bought it and then we had to build it. Uh, And so then we went and built it and so now we've totally flipped. And it's so funny because again, I think it would be easy within a big company with a project like this to have the shame Imagine going to your bosses and saying to them, hey guys, I got it completely wrong. I've spent 3 million getting us here and it's wrong. We need to start again, we need to change it. You would have felt awful, but luckily because it was our company, it was our baby, there was no I could just be ashamed of myself. Uh, And there was no shame. It's just like, look, don't hold on too tightly, let it go. And, and get back out there, get the team on it, refocus the team, we did. And so we refocused the team and got the team up and running with the new product by October last year, which was really recent. And we made our first sale within a month or two of that. And then they've just kept coming. Um, so everyone, which is, this is the most fucking crazy thing. Everyone loves this ecosystem tool. We've not had a demo yet where the people on the phone don't go, whoa, okay, I didn't make you do that. But the best thing about it is, everyone just does searches when they buy it. It's mental. So they buy the tool because of the ecosystem thing, and then they realize the benefit of the searches. So we had a a client signed up, I don't know, uh, actually in January. The first thing they do is seven searches. And and I just think, oh my goodness, this is so fascinating. Once someone has the tool, doing the searches is easy, but trying to get them to buy it for the search is impossible. So I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's selling selling
1: by value, not features. (laughs) It's almost like somebody should make a database of stuff like this. Now, I love that story. I, I I can think of many. It's the mental pivot, like in fact that it isn't it is actually still the same thing. And then a customer teaches you the way to perceive the value. Completely. And uh, that's, that's why you keep I think that's why you keep having customer conversations, like as many as you can and mining the hell out of that. And then I, mean, I know from the sales, the sales side, that's what that's what we do. And we do it in a manual way, pull every question that was ever asked in any call and let's make yeah. sense of that. And yeah. uh, I think that's where the real learnings come from because you just end up reframing your entire product and sales drives that intelligence. Cause it wouldn't happen if you didn't talk to those customers who maybe don't want your thing.
2: <coughs> totally. And I think the thing that, I think that people forget that I think in the sales process, It's easy to sell someone by talking, you think. That's not true at all. It's easier to sell someone by listening. And I think that's the thing, like, what we've got to, what we have seen is is you're so much better at hardly saying anything on sales call. Just listening to their problems, listening to their challenges, hearing them, than you are trying to push your thing down their throat. Because at the end of the day, you have to just grasp their metal, whatever that might be. And you have to listen to their pain points. Um, and I think all too often in the sales world, people think it's just about a pitch and it's not. The pitch is almost the least important part. I think that listening is the most important part.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And And I know the paradigm shifting types of conversations that you need to have is like, how in the absolute shortest way can I tell people, I'm about to tell you a thing that's different than anything you've seen before I know you have a bunch of assumptions of like, I just need a tiny, tiny bit of attention so that we can have a conversation about it. And uh, it's hard, you know, and I so I I applaud anybody that, you know, sort of made the jump of the brand new education based experience, because that itself is very expensive to deploy and to build a business around. So anyway, we're running out of time, James. So give me give me your closing thoughts on, you know, what's What's next for the firm and what's next for the space in general that you're in?
2: Well, firstly, uh, thank you for having me on the show. It's been great. Um, I'm sorry if I got so excited and swore a bit. Apologies, public. Um, (laughs) That that is the nature of my passion. It's a B2B audience.
1: Um, We all swear. (laughs) Exactly.
2: And then um, one of the things, I mean, we're basically in this really interesting place right now where no one's head of ClearFind, so it's nice to be on here talking about ClearFind. Um, and one of the things that we put in place is we put in place a, a referral scheme. Uh, because we're trying to say, how do you build trust rapidly with people? And so we said, what if we can incentivize people who know CTOs, CAOs, uh, offer them $10,000 per lead that we close? That has seemed to be a wonderful thing. Um, so it's, it's an exciting time in the world right now. So we're saying to people, yeah, if you know someone who's a CEO or CTO, if you put them in touch with us and they buy, we'll give you 10 grand, which is fabulous. Um, that's helping build trust in terms of they know someone and we're, we're, we're benefiting from that trust. But what we're really trying to do is I think our, our road is to really just build awareness around the art of the possible, to show people there is something now out there that can do something that up until now has been impossible, that, that we can help you in a way that is surprising. And that trying to get a little bit of space in the mind of all of these people so that they make the room, as you say, to listen to how different we are rather than putting us in a box with everyone else. Uh, and so it's going to be an exciting year ahead um, I, was, I was saying that, that stuff before we start the call, it's been a crazy day today and it, it feels like things are starting to turn a corner for us and we're getting loads of interest, which is exciting. Uh, and so this year for us is going to be about, basically, I suppose, releasing version four of our product, uh, which is going to be a sexy new look and feel, uh, and about getting, um, I suppose, getting the brand out there and getting people to realise there's a, a much better, much smarter way to manage your ecosystem. Uh, And it isn't just about all the stuff that everyone else is talking about. It's about understanding the features and we're here to, we're here to help.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, on behalf of myself and the audience, we wish you the best of luck in making perfect product market fit and delivering 80% close rate. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. James, thanks for hanging out. Really appreciate the insights. No worries. All the best.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.